0: And and so this morning, first thing is, I'm going to teach you how to sit as a church. And so what I want you to do is get up, and we're going to fill all these front rows. Come on, baby. Get up, and come on and fill in, and get get to know somebody. Snuggle up. It's a cold morning. Come on down, Legacy. If you're first time, great. Come on down, too. We're going to get cozy. All right. All right. Yeah, come on down. Get to know somebody. All right. This is how you sit as a church. You know, there's this thing in our country where we value rugged individualism, and I, it's just me, and it's all me, and it's just me doing my thing, and so I come in, and it's just about me. I sit here, and I, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll sing some songs. Maybe I'll listen to the sermon, and then I'll leave, and I'm, maybe I'll talk to somebody. Um, that's, how, that's how Americans do things, but it's not how Christians do things. We are a family, and so I want to encourage you throughout the winter season and as you go on as a church to learn, learn how to sit like a church, okay? That actually, it, it, it says something about how you understand God and how you understand um, the relationships that he's called you to with other people, amen? Yes, okay, so I'm going to rewind, and I'll come up and Chris will introduce me and pray for me, and then I'll say, Good morning. Oh, let's try it one more time. (laughs) Chris introduces me. I pray you praise. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Welcome. I'm Bill Jolly. I'm going to be preaching today from Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 1. I am honored to be able to teach God's Word to you today. I believe that He is going to speak to us through His Word. So we are in a series that is um, four Sundays. It's Advent. It leads up to Christmas. It's called Joy Has Dawn. And it's about the songs that are sung when Jesus first came. That's what it's all about. And as I was thinking about this series, uh, I couldn't help but think about the the songs that you hear throughout the story of God. If you start reading through the Bible, you are going to encounter songs all over the place. For instance, when God fashioned the universe. There was singing, it says in Job that the morning stars and the angels that they sang as God was flinging out solar systems. There was singing then. And then if you go into Genesis, when God made uh, the first man, Adam, the very first words recorded that a human being speaks, those first words are the song that Adam sings when he sees Eve coming up out of the shrubbery towards him And he, because she always has shrubbery in front of her in the pictures in the Bible. I don't know. It just grows there. Uh, But she comes up to him, and and he sings, at last, at last. You know, I I won't do that to you. That's little, I mean, look at it sometime in Genesis. Adam sings because he's filled with joy at the gift that God has given to him. And you can keep on going. You can go to Exodus where the Israelites are delivered at the Red Sea and they watch the waves crash over their enemies. And what do they do? They burst into song because they were filled with joy in the God of their salvation. You can go to the book of Psalms. Those are all actually songs originally sung by the Israelites. So you can look through those and see what these are the songs that these people were singing. David was writing some of those songs when he was just a kid, on the backside of a desert was a little ukulele harp and some sheep and a big God who had made the universe. And he was filled with joy and he wrote songs to sing to that God. It keeps on going. If you get to the end of the Bible and you find yourself in the book of Revelation, I love reading Revelation 4 and 5 because it shows us what is actually happening in heaven right now. Right now, around God's throne, they're the most beautiful incredible songs being sung. And we know that one day, every tribe and every tongue, people from all over this planet, are going to be worshiping with abandon before the God of glory, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there's songs all throughout the story of God, and here we are at Christmas, which of all the seasons of the year is the season filled with songs, all right? If you've if you have the misfortune of working in retail, uh, you are probably being bombarded <laughs> by Christmas songs nonstop on the radio, over and over and over again, and it's usually the cheesy ones, not the cool jazz Christmas, but the cheesy ones. Uh, and and so you get in your, you can find it in your car radio, you go in the store, wherever you go, it is. It's a season that's filled with singing, and and that tradition goes all the way back to the very beginning. It goes all the way back, and so. Um, Uh, We're looking at these songs. A few weeks ago, uh, John Fouché came and he spoke on the song that Mary sang when she found out that she was going to give birth to Jesus. She was 13. Any 13-year-olds in here? Any 12, 13, anybody close to that? Maybe, yeah, come on, front row. You look like you're maybe close. What if you found out you're going to give birth to God? Wow, okay. Well, she sang. Uh, And uh, you also looked at the song of Uh, Zachariah last week, uh, who was John the Baptist's father, and when he found out that he was going to have a son, he doubted at first. Then the angel said, well, you're going to be quiet till he's born. And then when John was born, they named him, and he burst into song. Today, we're going to look at uh, at Simeon, uh, who is this other person who shows up very early in the account of Jesus's life on earth. We're going to look at Simeon. And before we do that, though, as I thought about this passage, um, first of all, the, the song that Simeon sings is famous. I was talking to the drummer before the service, and he said, my wife and I, years ago, we wrote a song about Simeon. We were based on what Simeon sings in the scripture here today. And for thousands of years, people have been singing these words, Christians for thousands of years. And in Latin, it's called the nunc dimitis, think. I'm not good at Latin at all. But something like that. And they've been singing it for thousands of years. And if you want to do something cool, go on Spotify and type that phrase in and it'll generate a playlist that just keeps on going and doesn't stop. And you can hit play and it will it'll blow your mind. It's some of the most beautiful music that's been written over the last 2,000 years to allow people just like you and me to sing along with Simeon about this Savior who has come. And, and every time I listen to it, it's so peaceful. There is so much hope. And even in the songs I, that are sung literally in Latin, I don't even understand the Latin, I know that this is what they're saying, but there's so much peace and hope that's communicated through it. Uh, so try it sometime. And uh, as I was listening and thinking about all that, I couldn't help but think about Dante. Uh, Dante was a poet in the Middle Ages who uh, wrote one of the greatest poems of Western civilization called The, the Divine Comedy. It's not funny. <laughs> uh, it starts in hell, uh, basically. Uh, that's not what comedy meant back then. But anyway, Dante wrote this poem called The Divine Comedy, and in the first part it's called The Inferno. And the opening lines of Dante's Inferno just started running around in my mind, and so I wanted to read those to you. And, and let them be a, a little bit of a contrast, a strong contrast to what we read in the scriptures this morning. So I am a, I'm a former literature teacher, so that's why you're getting Dante in a Christmas sermon. All right, so this is what Dante said. This is, these are the first lines of Dante's Inferno. Midway upon the journey of our life, I found myself within a forest dark. For the straightforward pathway had been lost. Ah me, how hard a thing it is to say what was this forest savage, rough and stern, which in the very thought renews the fear. So bitter is it, death is little more. These are the opening lines of Dante's Inferno, and, and basically to paraphrase that, this, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm on the journey of life, And right in the middle of this journey, I realize I have lost my way. And I know that there are many people here who have either been in that place in your life um, where you say, man, what am I doing? Why am I here? It seems like I've lost my way. Or maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're in that place. You're here this morning, and you say, I don't know why I'm here I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing. I feel like I've lost my way. And that's what Dante was writing about. Allegorically was saying, I'm, I'm in this forest, dark, and I've lost my way. So that's one state of mind. That's one um, expression of where a person is at. Now I want to take you to the Scripture, and I want to contrast what we see here. So if you've got a Bible, uh, if you've got it open, we're in Luke chapter 1, and we're gonna look starting let's go to verse 21 just to get a running start into the passage and uh we'll just start reading through and uh see what see what we see in here um and actually i'm sorry uh, chapter two you're like what go to chapter two verse 21 and so so jesus has been born all these things that have led up to this and here's verse 21 At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Pause right there. That was all really weird, and I'm sure you got nothing out of that, okay? (laughs) What was going on here? In Jewish culture at this time, when a a, a child was born, there was a period of what they would call ritual uncleanness, and you can go back and read Leviticus to find out all about that. Uh, It's a great, fun book to read. Uh, But in Leviticus chapter 12, it talks about this need, uh, and it's actually very, very powerful to understand in, that, in the Old Testament context what uncleanness and cleanness, what, what all of that means. But it, it, at any rate, he says in Leviticus that there's a, there's a set amount of time after a woman gives birth where she's not allowed to enter the temple, where she's considered ritually unclean, and once that time has elapsed, the mother and father are to take this newborn child and to present the child to the Lord. Uh, Not only that, but in, in Exodus chapter 12 when God was about to deliver the Israelites from Egypt and he was telling them to put blood over your door frame and then an angel of death is going to pass through Egypt and every firstborn child, every firstborn animal will die except for the ones who are covered by the blood of that innocent animal. And, uh, and so God said, because every firstborn is mine. Every firstborn is mine. But I want you to redeem your firstborn, and, and I want you to practice this custom from, from now on to remind yourself of that night of Passover. And, and so Jesus' parents, were, they were devout, and so they were following this, this uh, ritual. Uh, and the ritual typically prescribed that you bring a lamb and a bird and you sacrifice the lamb as an offering of worship, and then you sacrifice the bird as a sin offering. Because God had set up this system of animal sacrifice in which an innocent life could be given in exchange for guilty lives. So he said, bring this bir- bring a lamb and bring a bird, unless if you're very poor and you can't afford to bring a lamb, then bring two birds. And Jesus grew up with a, you know, in a family that was... Fairly uh, poor. Uh, and so that's why you see his parents bringing just these two birds as their offering. The first, so the first image that we are seeing in the Scripture today is an image of sacrifice, and it's an image of atonement. That's the first thing you actually see. If you had been here, if they were making a movie, you would see two animals dying at the very beginning of the passage today. And then you'd see this little baby boy. So cute. I've got a 14-month-old. Love him. He's awesome. He's way cuter than any of your kids. Uh, (laughs) Just kidding. Your kid's cuter than my kids in your eyes. Uh, So anyway, there's this little baby boy. First an image of atonement, and now something very different. Verse 25, it says this. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of, I want you to see this. The parents, this 13-year-old girl, I I don't know how Joseph is, maybe just a little bit older, they bring this little baby boy into the temple. They've got their two birds. They sacrifice the birds. They've got this little baby in their arms. At this time, he's probably maybe uh, 40 days old. So a lot of people think that Jesus was born in maybe late September. And so if you fast forward, this is probably sometime in early November, which in, in Israel, early November is gray and cold, just like it is right here in Knoxville today, and so on a day much like today, this young couple brings their little baby boy to the temple, and, and out of nowhere comes this old guy who, who uh, grabs their baby which my wife hates that. She hates him because when we first had Asher, all, all people would always come up and they would want to take the baby, especially at church. Everybody thought, well, we're in the same church together, so we can hold your baby right off the bat. Uh, and she actually came up with this technique where she would wear him in one of those chest slings because then she could say, sorry, I've got him in a sling, I can't get him out. Uh, so moms, you can take that technique and use that when you have kids. Anyway, random free stuff here in this sermon. So... This old guy grabs this baby, and, 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 it's, and he holds him up in the air, and, and so I'm instantly thinking Lion King with Simba and the monkey, and they begin the song, and all the animals are swirling around. He sings this song, looking at this baby, and, and look at what he says. Here's this old guy singing, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word he says i can die happy now i can die happy now according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation here's this right here in front of me That you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles. That's everybody that's not Jewish, that's not in that temple right now. He says this is going to be a light that's going to go around the entire world and everybody's going to get to see the salvation of the God of the universe in this little baby boy right there in front of him. And he says his last line, for glory to your people Israel, whom he had chosen. Verse 33 says, his father and his mother marveled. <laughs> what is this old guy doing? What is, a, a lot of weird stuff had happened to Jesus so far, so this probably just fit right in. Uh, and Simeon blessed them, and then he said this to Mary, his mother. Now, before I read these lines, you need to know that L- the book of Luke is written by a physician, uh, Dr. Luke, who was hired by a, a wealthy Roman Christian to travel around and interview the eyewitnesses to Jesus's life and to establish everything that was true. And so Luke went around and interviewed people and it's possible that he actually interviewed Mary because she was just 13 when this happened. And so fast forward 50 years and so she'd be on the back end of her life, but it's possible that Luke could have met with her and spoken to her and say tell me about tell me about the early days. And so you're, when you hear this, when you read this, I think we're reading it from Mary. I think she was the source for this, because look and it's, it's, fairly, it's very poignant. It says He said to her, "Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also." Here's a mama who loves her little baby, being told a sword is going to pierce through your heart also. And she was there when they hung him on a tree. And she was there watching her own battered son bleed out onto the ground. And she felt that sword pierce that had been promised to her all these years ago. It says this also, not only would her heart be pierced, but so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." So here's this old guy talking to them, singing to them, and prophesying to them about what's to come, and he's right in the middle of this, and suddenly some other lady from the nursing home shuffles over, and, and she jumps in with it, and maybe she starts singing with him, which that's really cool. I've, actually there's, there's a great YouTube video called Young at Heart and it's a, it's a singing group made up of people in their 80s or 90s. And there's one, if you look it up, there's this old guy and he, he comes out on stage dragging his oxygen tank and he's got that little thing around on his nose and he goes out on the stage and the guy starts playing the piano and he sings Coldplay. And he sings that song, uh, Fix You. And it, you will like be bawling, cause it's intense, man. And the guy has this great old baritone voice and he's singing this song and he's got his oxygen tank. And it's really amazing to hear these folks that, and that's one of the things, usually you can actually sing and sing pretty well all the way to the end of your life. It's a wonderful gift that God's given us. So Simeon is singing, and then it becomes a duet. And I gotta read this part, because this this cool other older seasoned saint, this is a pro-old Christian scripture. Just in case you're old and you're offended so far, I just want you to know this is like, we really love you. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. That's how the Bible says you're old. Having lived, stricken with years, is how the King James says it, (laughs) stricken. Uh, She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not, here's what she, and now here's what she did with her whole life. She did not depart from the temple Worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day and coming up at that very hour She began to give thanks to god and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of jerusalem So you got to see this god is lining all this up first. He sends He sends mary and joseph uh, Just the right time to the temple to dedicate jesus And at just the right time the holy spirit speaks to Simeon and says, Simeon, you need to be at the temple right now. And so he's there and he sees Jesus. And then also right at the same time, Anna turns the corner and she sees this and the Spirit reveals to her, this is the Messiah. This is the one you've been waiting for. So God orchestrates this wonderful divine appointment of all three of these people. And we get to hear these octogenarians belting out songs in praise of this little baby who will be, who is the Savior. Now, what kind of conclusions or what can we draw out of this passage? Here's the big idea. Here's the thought that I want you to meditate on, to think about, to grab a hold of today. When, we, when you think about this passage, this passage shows us that decades of devotion, these are two very, very elderly people who have been walking with God their whole lives. It shows us decades of devotion are sustained by God's promise and presence. Amen? I want to say it again because that's good. And I spent a long time trying to think that up so you could remember it. Decades of devotion are sustained by God's promise and presence. And you try it with me. Let's see if you're really getting this, students. All right? Decades of devotion are sustained by God's promise and presence let's try it again. Decades of devotion are sustained by God's promise and presence. Yes. I quizzed one of the interns at our church last night, and he nailed it. I was like, that's so good. So, decades of devotion are sustained by God's promise and by God's presence. Now, there are four key words in this, that sentence. First, decades then devotion, then promise, and then presence. And I'm going to unpack each of those four ideas for you, and it's going to give you, I think, something that's going to be very helpful for you today. First of all, it says decades. Both Simeon and Anna were advanced in years, and yet they were following God. And you know what? It's a miracle when you meet an older person who is still following God passionately. It is a miracle because the longer you live, the more things happen to you, and the more opportunities you have to grow bitter and resentful and, and faithless and to just hit eject. Think of most of the older people that you know. <laughs> okay? No offense, but older people are known for, being, for whining and complaining, and you really don't want to ask them how they're doing because they're going to spend 15 minutes telling you about their heel. Okay? Okay? So, as, and we got mostly young people here, and so let me just challenge you as you age, and you will, <laughs> and st- your body's going to start falling apart, think about this passage. If you are a seasoned saint, if you find yourself advancing in years, be encouraged with this passage. Um, so, it says decades of devotion to and, and the thing about these, think about Anna, for instance. She got married. She was excited. It was an awesome wedding. They took pictures and they put the designs on Pinterest. It was a great, cool wedding for Anna. And they had a, they were married. This was a great marriage. And then he died. Her prince charming died. So Anna could have said, "Well, forget it, God. I'm checking out. I don't understand why you would do this to me." But that's not what she did. She didn't check out. Instead, she checked in even harder into God. And you need to know, when you're going through something that feels like it's ripping your world apart, what do, you, do you check out or do you check in even harder? You need to press into God in the midst of the hardest thing that you've ever faced, and you will find Him faithful. Anna went through a tragedy that could derail a person and instead of it making her bitter, she gave herself even more fully to the Lord. It says with years and years of devotion. Uh, Simeon was there. There is a book by Eugene Peterson, who is the guy that he did the, me- the message paraphrase, uh, and he, he wrote, he's written lots of other books that are really, really good, um, but he, he wrote this book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And, and when I first saw that title on the shelf, it jumped out at me. It, it, the title of the book is A Long Obedience in the Same Direction as a way to describe the journey of faith, that it is a long obedience in the same direction. And, and so I looked it up, and I found out he was quoting Nietzsche, which if any of you are aware, that's like not usually the guy that you would quote for the title of your Christian book. Uh, but here's, what, here's the full quote. Nietzsche said the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. There thereby results and has always resulted in the long run something which has made life worth living. A long obedience in the same direction. What is this thing that Jesus has grabbed a hold of your life for? You might be trying to figure out all these other questions but you need to know here today that god has grabbed a hold of you and that you are going to make it and that he's bringing you and that the the, what your life is going to end up looking like is a long obedience in the same direction with your eyes set on christ with your eyes fixed on the prize that you forget what lies behind and you press on towards the mark of the high calling of god in christ jesus that's what paul did who was midway on the journey of his life and realized he was totally lost and was knocked off his high horse by Jesus and then everything got reoriented for him in his life. Decades of devotion. Uh, Not only that, you look at this devotion that we see in the lives of Simeon and Anna. It says that Simeon was righteous. It says that he was just. It said that Anna sought the Lord with fasting, with prayer, that she was waiting for the consolation, waiting for the redemption of Israel. And when you see that, I want you to think about that. What is going to, what is my life meant to be characterized by? Why am I here? Why am I here? Our lives are meant to be characterized by devotion. Did you notice what Simeon called himself in the very first line of the song? Look at it. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Your servant. And the reason that some of you have gotten your place where your life is totally screwed up is because you have forgotten who is serving whom. And you relate to God as your lackey, as your errand boy, as your gumball machine that you put a prayer into and get something sweet out of. And if you relate to God like that, your life is never going to be what it is intended to be. Simeon says, your servant. So ask yourself, what is my attitude towards God? Is God my servant and my errand boy? Or am I his servant? Am I his servant? Is that why I live? To say, I live to serve you, God. Because you have served me. Because Jesus humbled himself. From being there on the throne, he humbled himself and became, Philippians 2, a servant to us, to death on the cross for us, to enable us to become the servants of God. So we see that, we see her with fasting, we see her with prayer. Let me encourage you, when Jesus talks about fasting in the New Testament, he doesn't say if you fast, he says when you fast. And so I want to encourage you, if some of you are saying, I want, I want to be sustained in my faith. I want to grow. I want to experience passion for Jesus. I want to find the great joy that the Bible says I can find in Jesus, even though I'm maybe not finding it right now, but I want to get to that place. Spiritual disciplines are not an in and of themselves. Reading the Bible just to be reading the Bible, praying your little lame prayers with your yawns and coffee in the morning, in and of themselves, that's not the point. Okay, some of you need to hear this. In evangelical circles, we have this thing called a quiet time. Okay, you'll just have your quiet time. It sounds like something you do to a kid when they're bad. Go in the corner and have your quiet time. (laughs) It's time for quiet time, Johnny. Some of you need to stop having miserable quiet times that you don't get anything out of. Some of you need to stop having miserable quiet times and start meeting with God. Because if if your time in the Bible and your time of prayer is boring and lackluster, it's not because of God. Because He is filled with beauty. Because He is filled with glory. Because He is filled with love for you that burns brighter than 10,000 suns. And because of the blood of Jesus, you have access to that. So ditch your miserable, quiet times and start meeting with the living God. You have that opportunity because of Jesus, the greatest privilege in the universe, to have access to limitless joy, limitless peace, limitless glory, just to see it. David said in Psalm 27.4, one thing I ask, one thing I desire, I'm king and this is what I want more than anything, that I could gaze upon your beauty, that I could dwell in your temple, that I could just think about how awesome you are. And he was king. He had everything. And he said, this is the one thing that I want. This thing, this one thing. That's what was sustaining Simeon and Anna throughout their lives. If you come to my house and you come in my office and you look on the bulletin board in my office, there are, uh, there's, there are two pictures um, po- uh, taped up there, and the people in them are not cool. They are not sexy. They are old and wrinkled. They are pictures of a man and a woman that I have known over the course of my life who are now departed, who were examples to me of Simeon and Anna, of decades of devotion. One of them, his name is Big Al. And and it's the picture from his memorial service. And the thing about Big Al was he wasn't big. He was less than five feet tall, okay. And and he was he really was advanced in years, stricken with age. He couldn't walk right, lazy eye. I mean, he was just struggling to make it. Lots afflicted with all kinds of pain, never complained. I love that about him. Big Al and I served in prison ministry together, and we would go up to Mountain City, which is way way up at the corner of East Tennessee, where things get crazy and we would go to the penitentiary up there uh, and every time we would walk, we'd spend the weekend out there with, the, with, with um, inmates and the residents there and we would walk in and as soon as they saw this stooped over old guy, everybody in that prison Big Al! What's up Big Al? Yo Big Al! All over the place, African-American, white guys, Hispanic guys, it didn't matter. Guys with face tattoos, okay, neck tattoos, kids, don't go for the face, okay, anywhere but the face, please. Uh, All of those guys would say, Big Al, and they'd come over to him and give him a high five or a big hug or whatever. Because he loved those guys and he was faithful, he went up to that prison actually every single week. And he would go and he would talk to those guys about Jesus. And he would listen to the pain that they were going through. And he would point them back to Jesus. And he would pray with them. And then he would do it all again the next week. And he did that for years. That's what he did with his retirement. Okay? He didn't squander it on on himself, he offered it to the Lord. And I love being part of that prison ministry because most of the guys that do it are retired guys. They're mostly older men. And I love being with them because it gives me an example of what I'm going for in my life, of how I want to finish the race when I see these men in their 70s and in their 80s who are right there with the toughest 23-year-old serial killer telling him about Jesus. What a great way to go out. And we've had old guys that get like, that we think like, some, we thought last time I was up there, we thought one of the really old, old guys actually died right there on the weekend. And we were like, this is terrible, but this is how he'd want to go. This is finishing well. So anyway, the second picture is this uh, is really, really old lady. And her name is Sarah. And we always called her Aunt Sarah. And I, was, I tend to think of her as my Yoda uh, in life. And she was little and wrinkled like Yoda. Um, and she's in heaven. So she's listening to this sermon right now. Love you, Aunt Sarah. Uh, and she got saved when she was 40 years old. She was a socialite, popular, beautiful, had everything going, lived on the coast of North Carolina, and she got saved, and God immediately changed her heart, and she said, what about all these kids that don't know Jesus? What about all these kids from, um, from, all the, from these, these houses and homes where they don't have parents or they, they don't get much in life? and so she started to minister to children, and within like one or two years, she opened up a summer camp, and that summer camp has been running every summer for the last 50 some years, and literally thousands of kids have gotten saved at that summer camp on the coast of North Carolina, and thousands of people, or hundreds of people, have, like me, gone there as staff, and we learned how to follow Jesus, and we learned how to pray, because we would get up every morning and we'd go into Aunt Sarah's little office and she would sit on the bed with her shawl wrapped around her because she was old and cold. And we would pray with her. And we would listen to her prayers for God to show up in the lives of those kids. And then we would pray too. And I'll never forget, I would open one eye and I'd look at her and she'd have her little hand up, she'd have her little hands up in the air. She'd be clenching herself like this. And she'd have one hand extended to the Lord, this little frail hand, and then as, as, as she would pray or we would pray, I would just see her say, yes, Lord, yes. Oh, yes, Lord. <laughs> it was so cute. Uh, and, and powerful, because here's this woman in her 80s, all right? She died at like maybe 92 or something. But in her 80s at that time that I remember her, um, she, was, she was coming before God. And li- she had lived decades, decades of devotion. Now... I hope that those stories are inspiring to you, and the stories of Simeon and Anna are exp- inspiring to you, because now I need to turn the sermon. Decades of devotion. Ready? Let's try it again. Decades of. Let's try it more time. Decades of devotion. Stop right there. Don't want to hurt your brains. Are sustained. That's this middle thing. Are sustained by what? By me saying I'm going to do it. I'm going to just. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to go for it you will, you will <laughs> alright and many of you know what that feels like to say yeah I'm going to go for it man I'm going to be faithful to God and this is going to be great <laughs> and then real life happens okay decades of devotion are sustained in the face of everything that life is going to throw at you by God's promise and by God's presence could you say those with me God's Promise and God's Okay, let's talk about that. What do we mean by God's promise? Look at the scripture. Look at verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. According to your word. God had spoken to Simeon, had given him a promise, had given him his word, and Simeon banked his life on that word. And so my question for you is, Whose words are you banking your life on? What do you think about this book? Take it or leave it? Cut out the parts you don't like, like Thomas Jefferson did, and make up your own Bible? Just chuck it completely, like your college professor said you should. What's your attitude towards this word? Because let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that this word... This promise of God will sustain you through your life. And if you're going, if you're under it and you don't know what's what's up and what's down and you can't figure things out, you need to get this word and you need to read it with desperation. And God will speak to you. God will strengthen you. He will sustain you with his word. He will do that. That is a promise that that's what his word is all about. So take his word and let it be that kind of promise. Um, uh, I always, sometimes when I'm talking with people, and they're like, can I really trust the Bible? Can I really believe in it? Uh, is it really something I can bank my life on? I'll say, how do, you, how do you know when food is good? You taste it. And there's this wonderful old saying, the proof is in the pudding. Just read it. Take it up and read it and see what happens. I don't think you'll stay the same if you'll actually take this book and read it. I think it will change you when you do that. St. Augustine, all right, I think he was about in his 30s, screwed up, jacked up life, sex addict, joined a cult. His poor Christian mama was crying every night praying for him. He's in a garden one day, and he hears a little kid singing a song, take and read, take and read, and and he's convicted. He says, I got to go find a Bible. He flips open the Bible and he starts reading it. He plays Bible roulette, which generally is not a good idea, but he does, and God speaks to him through his word, and he is converted right there and goes on to be one of the most influential Christians in history after you get out of the New Testament. That was him with this book. Eat the book. Take it. Take it and read. This is, these are the words of God breathed out by God, God doesn't lie. He breathes life and truth into us. So take and read his word. So think about that. Here's the, this is application. You can walk out of here today saying, what place does God's word have in my life? Because it's an opportunity to meet with him and to experience him as you read his word. And then the second idea. So we've got our four words. We said, first of all, decades. Try that again decades of devotion are sustained by God's promise and now this is the end of the sermon all right it's the best part presence what sustains us in this life God's promise his word and his presence which is his spirit God's presence and his spirit and when you and and now okay look at the scripture Could you just look at this for a second? Because I want you to see this. This is where I'm getting this from. Uh, Look where it it starts to talk about Simeon. Uh, Go back up in mm, verse 25. It says, here's Simeon, righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by who? Yeah, this audience participation. You can shout it out. Uh, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, and he came in the... Whoa, wow, Mr. Jolly, I think there's a theme going on here. I used to love to hear that in English class when somebody would get it. Do you see that? Spirit of God, Spirit of God, Spirit of God, all over this dude. And what about Anna, a prophetess, which means that she was very sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and that she could discern when God was speaking, and then she could speak that out to other people, which is available to us today. Not in exactly the same way as Old Testament prophecy, but it's in the New Testament. So these people were filled, they were marked by God's Spirit. God's presence was all over them. And so when you see that, and you see these people were devoted, decades of devotion to God what enabled that to happen because they were weak and broken, struggling people just like you and me, who have every possibility of waking up tomorrow depressed out of our minds and not wanting to get up and face a gray Monday. Just like us who had who had temptations, who had shortcomings, who had trials, who had absolute disasters happen to them, how did they make it? They were sustained by God's word, his promise to us, and they were sustained by God's presence by the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you uh, in regards to that, guess what? The Holy Spirit is one of the members of the Trinity. So it's okay if you talk about him. Because in some circles, there is, there's usually, you get two ends of the spectrum. There's like, we just, we, we're, we like always talk about the Spirit and everything like that and we're going to you know get a quiver in our liver and jump a pew and swing from the chandelier. Getting the Holy Ghost. Or we will never talk about the Holy Spirit. Ever. And there's all this fear and skepticism and all these things. Look at the Bible, folks. It's God's word to us. If you took the book of Luke and you plastered the pages up on the wall and you took a highlighter and you highlighted every place where it mentions something related to the Holy Spirit, you might run out of highlighter before you got to the end Of the book. It's that prevalent. And you could do it through the whole Bible. It'll blow your mind. And you need to know that because here's the thing it is by the Spirit of God that you become a Christian. If you don't have God's Spirit, Him present with you, you you might be religious, but you have you have yet to experience what Jesus died for. Jesus died so that you could have His Spirit you could know God and he would walk with you and live with you. Not only that, not only that, that that having God's spirit, but there's this question when we think about not only do we have the spirit, but Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the spirit. And the Greek there says keep being refilled. Why does he have to say that? Because we leak. And, and you need to understand that about Christianity, Okay? You were born by God's Spirit, you were brought to life by God's Spirit, and you are meant to be sustained by God's Spirit. Two analogies. The oil in your car, it's got to be there. (laughs) Okay, teenagers, just getting your license, people, college students who your dad's taking care of your car up until now, you can run out of gas, you can run the battery down, you can do a lot of stupid things to your car, but if you ignore that oil light, You'll be cruising down the road one day by campus and then suddenly your car will make a really bad noise and white smoke will blow out of the tailpipe and you will have just killed your car, your engine. Beyond repair, you're done with that engine. That's how important oil is to a car. The Holy Spirit throughout the scripture is often likened to oil, a different kind of oil, but it works for my analogy. You've got to have the oil of the Spirit in your life or things will and white smoke will blow out of your ears and your life as a Christian will be very, very difficult. We must have his spirit. Second analogy. Um, I like Maglite flashlights. The reason that I like them is because when you, uns- when you have to change the batteries and you unscrew it and, uh, and then you dump out the old ones, when you drop the new batteries in, it makes this really cool noise because it's just so finely machined and made. It's a perfect fit, so it makes this really cool noise. And then you screw it on, and then you turn it on, and I mean, you can blind people with, a, with a, one of those big mag lights. They're awesome. It's like a, a weaponized flashlight, is basically what a mag light is. Or you can just beat them over the head with it. Uh, here's the thing. Our lives are like those flashlights. If you don't have the batteries, charged up batteries, if you don't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life, you you cannot shine. If you've got a battery with dead flash with dead bat- uh, a flashlight with dead batteries in it, it will not do what it's supposed to do, what it was made to do. What were you made to do? Shine with the light of Christ. Shine by the power of the Holy Spirit within you, not your own power. If that if that flashlight doesn't have batteries in it, it's a doorstop or a paperweight or a club at best, but it can't do the beautiful thing that it was really made to do. And you cannot do the beautiful thing that you were made to do to live this life which shines the glory of God without the Holy Spirit. And so we need Him in everything. We need God's Spirit. Let me close with this. Here's our, here's our sentence. Can you guys say it with me? Decades of devotion are sustained by God's and... There's so much in that. There's so much in that. As we think about it, I want to close with this image. The very first image in this passage was an image of atonement and sacrifice. Remember, they brought the two birds. One was an offering of worship. One was an offering for sin. And what makes all of this possible, everything that I'm saying to you today, is atonement. It's the fact that Christ died for us when we were flashlights that were empty with no batteries, when we were cars that had run out that had no oil, when we were humans who were lost in the middle of our lives, like Dante. And you may be here today, and you 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 say, I am lost in darkness. I am lost. And you don't know Jesus at all. And I want to invite you to come to know Him today. To believe this truth that we are preaching to you and singing about. You may know Jesus, and yet you say, I'm in a place in my life where there is darkness. And I'm not sure which way is up and which way is down. And I need hope. I need help. And I want to encourage you. Jesus died for you when you were His enemy how much more will he give his spirit to you in greater measure so that you can live your life to his glory and i'm not when you i'm not talking about becoming an evangelist or leading crusades or going off on some missions trip you need the holy spirit to live your everyday life to love your family this christmas <laughs> you need the holy spirit to be faithful at work you need the holy spirit To have fellowship with the God who made you and loved you and redeemed you. That happens through his spirit. And that is all made possible through the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Through that atoning sacrifice. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you and um, God, I thank you that you sent your son to die for us. And that He sent the Spirit. That we could come to life. And we could have life. And that we can be um, on this journey. um, And and know that the calling that You have on our life is to decades of devotion sustained by Your promise and Your presence. And so Lord, I pray for Your promises to um, come home. Just to, just to hit home in people's hearts and minds right now. I pray for your presence to increase. I ask that you would um, fill people's hearts with your presence today. They would know the joy and peace of your spirit. Um. Mm. The encouragement of you, of, of Emmanuel, God with us. And so, Lord, as we um, lift up our voices to you, as we worship you, um, thinking of, I think of Anna who came and sang to you every day for decades. She worshipped you. She lifted up her voice to you, Lord, that we would lift up our voice to you, because you are worthy. And so we ask that you would help us to give you the glory that you deserve and know the joy that you have for us, Lord. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.